if a plant doesn't grow fast enough, meaning perform enough, mm-hmm. they pull. They pull the plant or they kick it. Grow faster. You're, you're underperforming here. Can you see your colleagues? Yeah, you're underperforming, which of course doesn't work. The grass doesn't grow faster when you pull it. It doesn't. Now, what does the plant need to live up to its full potential and, and, and show the potential that, by the way, is also fully contained in the seed? What does it need? Ideal conditions. That's all. And that's the same with human beings. To bring out our full potential, we often need nothing but ideal conditions. Welcome to Pivot Me, where we give business tips and mental hacks so you can move past your biggest obstacles and live the life you've earned. And now your host, business advisor and performance expert, April Garcia. For years, I made large companies larger and rich people richer. Now I coach driven entrepreneurs to hack success, create more time and get better results through high performance habits, the multiply me method, and a little mental gymnastics. On Pivot Me, I talk to thought leaders and experts sharing our successes, our many scrubs, and how we can all use both to move us to the next level. Join us and learn real simple steps to pivot you and your business towards the life you've earned. What are most leaders doing wrong? Today, we're speaking with global leadership expert Thomas Jelmy out of Zurich, Switzerland. He works with clients all over the world, improving their leadership, improving both performance and ultimately satisfaction in the workplace. He has been featured in Forbes, Thrive Global, Fox News, USA Today, CBS, and NBC. We will discuss what leaders are doing wrong, how we're self-sabotaging, and what to do about it. He also explains the importance of real connection with your team and what that looks like, and one simple question you can ask them to change the outcome of a meeting. One thing I really appreciated was when Thomas talks about how previous leaders, our own previous leaders, have influenced our own leadership style, meaning if you've had a crappy boss in the past, they are affecting how you lead your team today. Let's get into it. I am so glad to have you today, Thomas. Thank you for joining us at Pivot Me. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me here and for inviting me. Absolutely. So Thomas, you've got a varied background. Talk to us about how you got into this type of work. Yeah, I'm asking myself this question all the time, (laughs) how I got here. (laughs) Well, actually, I got a very colorful biography. Maybe I start from the end, yeah? Today, I am working with executives, uh, leaders uh, around the world, across organizations, across cultures. That's what I do, right? I support people in moving into the next level of their success, of their effectiveness, et cetera, et cetera. I earned my first money cutting people's hair. Yeah, I was a hairdresser for three years. And then from there on, I spent time working with a circus. I spent time, yeah, living in the trailer, touring around, and then ended up in in an airline, Swiss Swiss Air, right? The Swiss national Mm -hmm. carrier at that time. I spent almost eight years then leading cabin crew on the plane, in the plane, around the world, and then got after that into that new chapter that I've been in for the last 20 years now. Yeah, ended up in 
what I do today. Hmm. I would imagine that a lot of those experiences have really helped you in the work that you've been doing in the last 20 years. Absolutely. And I only got to really understand this in retrospect. Hmm. You know, today I see the red threat. Today, I see that already in the very beginning when I was cutting people's hair, I was in fact listening. I was listening to their stories. I was asking questions. And yeah, you get to hear stories nobody else gets to hear when you're a hairdresser, believe me. Yeah, I believe that. I hear that with hairdressers and bartenders. You hear all the good stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Okay. So this is how, how you got into this type of work and these experiences have led you to where you are today. So talk to us about what your key focus is. I know you speak a lot on leadership and customer service as well. Talk to us about your key focus. Okay. The heart of my work at the heart of my work is the ability to connect with others effectively, build relationships and maintain them also under difficult conditions. This is what I call, and many others as well, interpersonal skills, interpersonal competence. This is, of course, relevant in leadership, in teamwork, and in customer interaction, but also in private life, end of the day. People or things are not so separate at all. Yeah. And the heart or the prerequisite to develop these interpersonal skills is a well-developed personal competence. So you got to be in a good relationship with yourself first, in touch with yourself first, before you can really, truly, authentically connect with others and be really effective working with others, leading others, etc. So there are two things, they are tied together, and that's like the core of my work. And with the many, many aspects that belong to these two big areas, personal and interpersonal skills. Yeah. That's interesting because when we think about leadership, it's sort of portrayed as this outward game, right? How we, how we manage people, how we lead people, how we inspire and motivate. But when you're saying first, we got to start with your own relationship with yourself. That's, that's a deviation. I feel like that's not what's taught in business schools and probably is a huge priority needs to be spoken about a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not a, a deviation. I would call it an, Uh, expansion of Mm. the view of and the purpose of leadership. And you, I I like that you call it the outer game because that's exactly what I call it. I call it the outer game and the inner game. And the inner game, you know, getting the insight right is the basis, is the fundament to be effective in the outer game. And there's a saying I believed originated in India that says there is nothing in nature that doesn't grow from the inside out. And that's just the same for great leaders. Great leaders emerge inside out. So in my work, I talk a lot about mindset, attitude, attention management, awareness, self-awareness, et cetera, et cetera. Because in the end of the day, everything you do Everyone, everybody you come into contact with is affected by this. Everything you say is affected by this. Your facial expression, things like that, Mm -hmm. and how you come across, the impact you have, the energy you radiate, the resonance you generate or not, depend on 
what your inner weather conditions are. That's what I call it. The inner weather conditions and the inner climate. Yeah. So a lot of the people that are listening right now lead teams. We have, whether you are a business owner or in an organization, we're leading teams. So how do we do this? How do we master this inside game so that we can be more effective leaders? There are many, many aspects to this. One, for example, could be to start reflecting on your own past, on your own biography, especially with the focus on leadership. Where and when in your biography did you experience leadership as something powerful, effective, helpful, and when not? And how might this still influence your leadership? We tend to often unconsciously do or show the kind of behavior that we got you know, shown and presented, like our parents, leaders we worked for, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of self-reflection in there, connecting to your own values, what is really, really important for you, what do you want to see in your organization in terms of values, and how can you live these values and be a, a role model? And it's about mindfulness as, as well, to, to a large extent like developing the ability to be fully present with all your attention in the moment with somebody in a conversation, for example, listening, deep listening with the intention to understand, or are you listening to answer, mm-hmm. to be right, to win, etc., etc. So this self-awareness, becoming more aware about your own or of your own behavior and how this behavior affects others. So when to take it out of the kind of theoretical into the practical of, okay, why does this look like implemented? So you're talking about, for example, if you're engaging with a team member, mm-hmm. sitting down, creating time and space where you're really connecting and hearing them out versus just preparing your rebuttal, like many of us do, right? We're like, all right, I'm just waiting for a pause in their argument before I reply. So what I'm hearing is active, engaged listening and making sure that they feel seen or heard. Talk to us about what it looks like. Yeah, it all begins with being truly interested in the people you're dealing with. And then, you know, when you, re- when you have genuine interest, you will ask questions. You will not just say, hey, how are you doing? Okay, let's go. Agenda point one. You will ask an honest question like, hey, how are you really doing? How are things at home? How are you dealing with the pandemic? And et cetera, et cetera. You know, genuine interest. What's your goal for our conversation today? Not mine. Of course, I have my agenda. Of course, I have my goal. But one of the first things I do in almost every meeting I have is ask the other person about their goals and expectations and hopes for our conversation, for our meeting. This does not only give me the opportunity to align our goals and ensure we're working towards the same outcome, but it also sends a strong signal that, hey, this is not just about me. This is about you just as well. This is about us. Hmm. And it connects and it builds rapport, et cetera. So this is a very practical application. Yeah. Yeah. That's really powerful, Thomas, because I'm just thinking about how when I do meetings, I usually define what success looks like. So I'll say, you know, and that's for a project or a task too. As my team's listening to this, they're going to think about every Asana task I assign always says, and success looks like X, Y, Z. Success looks like this project going over whatever it is. And I define meetings that way. I have never stopped to say, so I define what I consider success for the meeting. I've never thought to stop and look at a teammate and say, what's your goal of this meeting? That's at least half 
of the story, right? It's, it's yeah. at least 50% of, of what's happening. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, that's immediately something I will change. So if you're listening now and you're about to go into a meeting or a conversation with a teammate, and, and again, to your earlier point, this isn't just for leadership in the workplace. Mm. I mean, this can be a, really, a conversation with your partner or you know, a version of this with your kids, just yes. understanding here's my objective. Now let me understand your objective before I move ahead. Yes. And, you know, when we interact with each other, and especially when there's when we're in an influencing process, which leadership is very mm-hmm. clearly, or a sales process or anything where influence sure. is happening, we often unconsciously and very quickly assess three things in the other person. First, can I respect this person? Do they know what they're talking about? Secondly, can I trust this person? Does this person come across as trustworthy? Do they show some warmth also, right? Can I trust? Mm-hmm. And third, is this also about me or is it just about them, 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 them? Yeah. I'm just, yeah, I just have to do what they're, what I'm being told to do and that's it. Now, let me put it the other way around. Leaders who try to, to generate or get acceptance from their team by showing how smart they are, and how much they know and how Mm. competent they are. So focusing on the respect part, risk that people, worst case, feel intimidated or alienated or just, you know, reserved. Hmm, This guy is very smart. Can I speak up here? Can I say what's on my mind? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Careful. Leaders who manage to first create a relationship, connection, and trust they create the basis, they create the fundament for, for engagement, for, for people doing what needs to be done because they want to do it, not mm-hmm. because you tell them, right? And then once this has been established and people also notice, okay, this is also about me. This is also about my growth and development. Then the smartness and the skills and the knowledge and the competencies of the leader are the cherry on the top. Yeah. It's this way around, not the other way around. And there's a nice quote by Teddy Roosevelt, former uh, US president, who said, people don't care how much you know before they know how much you care. So that's this principle. It's not reinventing the wheel. It's, (laughs) it's, this is old truth. Yeah, that's so true. I, I love that quote as well. And what I'm hearing is there's a form of leadership where you're getting other people to appreciate your intelligence, but this form of leadership is sort of appreciating the intelligence and needs of others first. And so yeah. in, in one model, someone will go, well, my leader's brilliant. They're so smart, but I'm intimidated, but I don't want to speak up, but I don't share my creativity or, or, or opinions. The other version is Yes, my leader's smart, but I also feel smart around my leader and I feel valued around my leader. Exactly. Exactly. Good leaders make people feel like they're at the heart of things and not at the periphery. And it's also about creating a climate of safety, a climate of psychological safety and trust, where people trust enough that they can openly speak up, say what's on their mind, admit a mistake. I need help. I need support. Knowing they won't be uh, executed, you know, because of that. Let me take a step back. Let me ask this. What are most leaders doing wrong? Well, besides the fact that I mentioned uh, just a moment ago that they try to shine and, and show how smart they are, 
probably focusing too much on the facts and figures and numbers mm. level of the interaction. Collaboration. Many leaders, many managers are very, very numbers driven, mm -hmm. driven by KPIs. Yeah, it's all about profitability, which is okay. There's nothing wrong with that mm -hmm. as long as you don't exclusively focus on this because end of the day, the business doesn't make itself profitable. It's the people who do it. This is people business. Leadership is people business, unless you have a fully automized online shop, right? But mm -hmm. for most, it's teams working together. And it doesn't really matter whether you're in B2B business or in B2C, it's always H to H. It's human to human. It's humans buying from other humans. It's humans doing what needs to be done Yeah. Because other humans connect with them and, and, and influence them on the relationship level. So back to your question, what do most leaders get wrong? They neglect the emotional level and the relationship. Many even shy away from everything that has to do with emotions. Bah, oh, no, 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 no emotions in the, keep, let's keep them out of the equation because emotions are bad. And what they often think about is, people losing the temper, not being in control of their emotions, having emotional meltdowns in meetings, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, of course, not what we're talking about. I can understand that with this in mind, you, you want to definitely stay away from emotions. But what we're talking about here is that emotions are our inner navigation system, mm -hmm. our inner drivers. Mm -hmm. Antonio Damasio, a famous neuroscientist, uh, said that As human beings, we're not thinking machines with emotions as well somewhere down in the basement. We're emotional beings, feeling beings driven by emotion that also have the capacity to think. Now, the interaction, leadership, collaboration happens on the level of actions and, and, and tasks and responsibilities eh, on the transactional level. Yeah, facts and figures, of course, but also and mostly on the relationship level. And this has a lot to do with the emotional climate you create as a leader. Is it a climate of fear and hypervigilance, mm -hmm. or is it a climate of safety and trust? I love this concept, Todd. So a couple of things I want to point out. This is amazing. So one thing I want to point out is that Often managers are promoted, put into leadership roles because they're good at navigating KPIs. They're good accountability buddies, if you will. Yes. And so what I'm, what I'm hearing is if you're a business owner or you're, you're a leader, you're in an executive position and you're looking at who to promote or maybe even your existing team, think about what, what I'm hearing and, and feel free to pivot me. Hmm. Think less about who's going to hold their team to KPIs. That's important, obviously. That's what keeps the, the revenue engine going. But who has influence? It, I, I always tell people that we're all influencers. We just have to be aware. Of High performers are just more aware of it usually. But what I'm hearing is it's less about the KPIs and more about the influence. So when you're looking at your team and, okay, who, who promotes or who gets to stay in the roles that they have, be more aware of influence and connection than just holding someone to a KPI. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And don't look for the best 
or most successful individual contributor yes. is not necessarily going to be the best leader. Yes. Right? Yes. But look for those, as you say, who have influence, who already have followers, right? Mm -hmm. Who people look up to already, mm -hmm. who show leadership because leadership is not necessarily tied to a managerial position. Anybody can show leadership. So that's a, that's a key. Selection, selection, recruitment is a key because if you do the opposite, you end up having a frustrated leader who's trying to do the best they can based on what they know. And because leadership is not, the leadership skills are not developed systematically. They look what others do. They think of their own bosses they had in the past and then they copy. Yeah. But struggle very often, which leads to frustrated team members who think my, my boss is not doing his or her job and who in the end of the, in the, end of the story, worst case, leave their boss. Yeah. And, and that's a pity. Yeah? Often people join the organization because of the interesting development potential and job and everything, and then they leave their boss. That's an interesting delineation. They join the organization, but they leave the boss. Yes. yes. That's, that's key right there. That's gold. And I would like to add something that just shot through my mind when you were talking about the KPIs again. I just finished a 12-month executive development journey. Together with a colleague, we coached 12 executives in an organization over 12 months. And we just last week had a final workshop, the conclusion of the program. And they exchanged their key takeaways, their main insights from the program. And one, I, was, I, I had goosebumps when I heard it because that was, for me, the reason to get up in the morning. He said, most important thing I learned in this past year was that you can improve the financial KPIs of your organization by developing your leadership, your communication, your collaboration and the culture, and without focusing on the numbers all the time. That is huge. I thought, wow, that's exactly it. That's it's everything. Exactly. The numbers will follow. They are a consequence of the quality of leadership and collaboration and the culture in the organization. The numbers will follow. But what I'm also hearing is you also reduce turnover. If oh, you, yeah, absolutely. If you, You're working with a team and with poor leadership, obviously you get huge turnover. So, I mean, it, it definitely affects the bottom line in a, in a positive way, in a profound way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can, of course, also be financially successful com completely the other way around, right? You can, but yeah. it comes as a price at a price. And you just mentioned it. Yeah. Usually it's high turnover and not necessarily the best employer branding, which is relevant again, when you have to hire good oh, yeah. people in the market. Yeah. So yeah. you better watch your, your brand in the market. Otherwise you end up with a bunch of negative glass door reviews. And so when any potential candidates looking at you, that's the mm. first thing, but definitely in the U S a lot of people go to glass door and there's some yes. bad reviews out there and it really can hurt you for, for excellent candidates. Only 3% of speakers, podcasters, and authors make enough money to do it as a full-time career. 3%. Man, that's bad. I came from the big business world, and if I wanted to scale my speaking career and release courses, I knew I needed more than just case studies and metrics. 
I actually needed a personal brand. Brand Builders Group is a personal brand strategy firm for thought leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs, and they work with some of the biggest names. They help clarify your message, expand reach, and increase revenue while monetizing your personal brand. I still do their monthly consulting package, but I've also done their workshops, webinars. They're all great. Don't be part of the 97% who can't afford to do the work they love full time. Connect with the same team I hired to help me. Check them out at pivot-me.com backslash partners and get on their schedule for a free call. There's two things I want to touch on. One is just a note. First, we were talking about the influencers in the team. What I want you to hear about who's influencing in your team, sometimes it's not the person in the leadership role that actually has the most leadership influence. So if you're listening right now, look at your team and think about who the biggest influencer in the team is. That can be good or bad. But who is the biggest influencer? To your point, Thomas, who already has followers? It may not be the boss. It might be somebody else. And if you're going to set off on a new initiative, you need buy-in. Sometimes you don't need the entire team's buy-in. You need that influencer's buy-in. So know who's influencing your team. Exactly. You need what is often referred to as first followers because the first followers or early adapters are the ones that are basically your internal sales force Yeah, to get all others on board. Yeah, your internal sales force. I love that that concept. So it's a good idea what you just suggested. Come up with a power influence matrix or power influence mapping of your organization or the most important stakeholders, the teams, the team members, who has power, who has Mm -hmm. influence, who has both, Mm -hmm. and who has none of them. (laughs) It's true. Well, actually, it's funny because I was just thinking of a client that I work with. She works in a a hospital in, in Texas, and she's not currently in a leadership role. However, she is of profound influence on her team. And I'm always reminding her that her ma- the managers need to be looking at her as the powerhouse that she is because she's influencing. Though she doesn't want that particular director role, she has remarkable influence on the team. And I'm like, your boss needs to recognize that because if you get her on board, you get everyone who follows her on board. So if yes. you're listening right now, think about who that influencer is in your organization. The other thing I want to touch on, Thomas, that I think is so, so important. As soon as you said that, I, I couldn't help but reflect in my own experience, which is what leadership models have influenced you? Because just like our parenting often can at least initially reflect the way we were parented, and we have to be cognizant about changing that if we want different results it's true with our leadership model. And I, I immediately thought back to the leaders that I've had. And just to be candid, I've, I've had some pretty bad leaders in the past. We, we all have, right? And so being aware that your leader, that the boss that you had years ago that maybe you hated is can still be uh, subconsciously influencing your leadership style. You could still be taking a page from their book to stop and think about which leaders have influenced you and does that serve your leadership style today? So true. In my case, it was more, it was more like I had many negative role models, mm-hmm. yeah. many leaders where I thought, no, I am definitely not going to follow that path. Yeah. It's, it's just not the way you treat people. Mm-hmm. And I often I could sense strong resistance within me mm-hmm. against certain behaviors. And I, you know, in my younger years, I doubted myself sometimes sure. because of that. And I thought, what's wrong with me when I react so strongly 
to such behavior. Something's wrong probably with me. I'm not right. Until at some point, of course, you know, getting older helps. I realized, no, <laughs> there's absolutely nothing wrong. But what I intuitively sense within me, my values and how I see things and how I would do things actually represents a very, very modern uh, and uh, state-of-the-art leadership approach. Mm. And thinking of models, you know, one shot, uh, one name shot just uh, through my mind, uh, and that's uh, Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of mm. New Zealand. She is, for me, a true role model when it comes to having leadership impact and at the same time showing humility and compassion. Yeah. This is such a powerful combination. But it may take some courage. Mm -hmm. It may take some courage, often for men more than for women, mm -hmm. to show your authentic self, genuinely show who you are, be vulnerable. Yeah, I was hearing vulnerability. Yes. I'm hearing I'm hearing Brene Brown's work in here too. Absolutely. Dare to lead. Highly mm -hmm. recommended book for anyone who wants to effectively lead. Because it's this vulnerability that many put in the corner of weakness that is, in fact, one of the biggest strengths and drivers for true connection, deep connection, relationship. And that's when the magic happens. It's amazing. And it's just such a good reminder that vulnerability has got to ride shotgun to leadership. And that is not necessarily mainstream. And, and to Thomas's point, so he was in a role where what's happening is going against his grain and he's thinking, oh, it must be me. I, I must have to adapt to this model. If you're in that position, take a second and think about, well, maybe, maybe the way that I intuitively feel like this should happen is actually correct. Maybe the model's broken. Maybe the organizations, there's lots of cultures out there that are pretty negative or pretty toxic. Take a step back and go, okay, do I need to adapt to their model or is there a flaw in their model? And I've got to go create my own. Here we go. And I so often hear people, you know, leaders I work with at some point say, oh, Thomas, you know, I'm so relieved that I'm hearing this from you. I'm so glad to hear that there is somebody out there and it's not just you, but many others become, I become aware of now that promote what I feel that say, no, it's okay. It's, it's okay to also focus on the emotional aspects, right? mm -hmm. for example, to, uh, to show emotions, it's okay. And it's not just okay, it is very effective or it can make your leadership effective. So many are really relieved. I bet. So if you could tell leaders that are listening right now that say, I want to be a better leader, I want to connect with my team more, whether it's to reduce turnover or just to have a more human to human approach. Yes. Um, if you had to boil it down to one thing, what would you say to them? Uh, boiling it down to one thing is always a challenge. Huh? So what, 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 what comes to mind is observe yourself well and observe how often and how much of the time during a day you are in problem-solving mode, focusing on what's not right, focusing on what's going wrong, what's not the way it should be, the mistakes, the errors, the deviations, the gaps, etc., and how often you give critical feedback to your people, if any. Just observe, right? Mm -hmm. And then decide to consciously also 
focus on what's going well. And I'm not saying shift your focus, forget the problems and go positive thinking exclusively. No, 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 don't. Expand your focus of awareness by consciously noticing what people are doing well, the extra miles they are going, the efforts they are putting into their work, even if they, and especially if they don't meet the targets one day, for example, they don't reach the goals. So look out for that and then tell them, show appreciation, expand your repertoire of feedback by positive feedback, by recognition, by reinforcing feedback, by telling someone, hey, you have a moment? Listen, I saw what you did yesterday for that customer. I got to know what happened and I got to know the longer hours you're invest you invested to ensure customer satisfaction. This is absolutely stunning. It's, it's, it's remarkable and I'm so pleased to have you on our team. Thank mm. you. And not just, you know, thanks for the good job. It's such a big difference. Very specific. And you may have heard of this. It's, it's pretty common. Meanwhile, we all have or we all are victims to this phenomenon called negative bias. Anything we consider negative, problems, mistakes, etc., they attract our attention automatically. It's automatically drawn there. It also seems bigger and we react more strongly to it. This has to do with our survival instinct because negative equals dangerous threat, right? So I have to pay attention. The problem is that the good things, the positive aspects, what's going well, often fall off our radar. They fall by the wayside. And even, you know, we take them for granted. There's a nice uh, saying that says, one falling tree makes more noise than a whole growing forest. Oh, that's good. I love that. That one thing that went south today and the 20 things that went well and I was Mm -hmm. able to take off my to-do list. What are you thinking about when you're laying in bed at night? We all know what. Certainly Mm -hmm. not the 20 things that went well. And because of this, leaders are often in this problem-solving mode. What's not going well? What needs to be corrected? Who needs to be given critical feedback because they made a mistake? And when the truth is, we get more what we acknowledge and appreciate. Oh, yes. What you focus on will grow, particularly mm -hmm. the negative. Yeah. So if we just focus on, okay, the things that I'm going to acknowledge in my staff, whatever I acknowledge, I'm going to get more of. Well, then if you acknowledge the good things they're doing you're likely to get better performance as well. And this may sound counterintuitive for many because it also goes a bit against nature, right? To focus on what's going well. Mm -hmm. And that's why it takes a conscious decision. But if you ask me for one recommendation, this this would be it. And you can start by doing a little daily review. At the end of the day, take 10 minutes, sit down and reflect on your day. What went well today? What was Mm -hmm. good? What did I do well? And then tap yourself on the shoulder. And by this, you condition yourself into Mm -hmm. this more realistic, expanded view. And you will, you create the basis for giving your people positive, reinforcing feedback, and then just watch the magic happen. Yeah. And what, what I'm also hearing, Thomas, is it's really easy for you to create a metric around giving people positive feedback. 
Like you can, in your planner and your schedule, you can say, make sure that you give one piece of positive feedback to each team member or whatever Mm -hmm. metric you chose. But this can be sincere. It can also be scheduled because again, you don't want to give general feedback. Hey, great job, Steve. Well, okay. That doesn't really land. And I'll just mention employee recognition, which a lot of larger organizations do. There's value to it. However, many employees don't feel it authentically. And the feedback you just provided is real. It's timely. It's from the heart. People feel that. That's so important. But you can have a reminder in your calendar to give it. You can have a reminder. Acknowledge the marketing team. Something they've done. Catch people doing something right and acknowledge that in the moment. And make it part of your standard meeting agenda. Hey guys, welcome to the team meeting. Let's do a short check-in. We had our last meeting two weeks ago. What was your personal highlight in the last two weeks? One sentence per person and you set the tone for the meeting because often people also tend to forget what went well mm-hmm. because everything is about problems, problems, problems. Small things like that. And yes, you're of course absolutely right when you say it has to be authentic. When people get the impression, oh, oh, the boss has probably attended a course because <laughs> he or she is so unnaturally positive now. Look, he's he's trying out something on us. Then you then it backfires, of course. Right. Yeah. So you have to feel it. You have to, you have to feel it. And that's why, again, we're talking about the inner game. First, it all begins with you and your own perception. So Thomas, is it okay? So I I love your story about, oh, the boss has just attended a course (laughs) or something or a workshop. So let's talk about this. So say someone is listening to this episode right now and they go, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to work on my leadership skills. I'm going to go acknowledge my team for doing something. Is it okay for them to say, to be honest about, hey, I am a leader. I am working on my leadership skills. I'm working on acknowledging things. I'm working on doing things a little bit different. So you might see a shift. Is that all right to just kind of call it out to your team? It's absolutely great. Uh, You can even uh, go further than that and ask your people, hey, people, hey, team, what can I do to be a better leader for you? Yeah. And then listen to them. This takes, of course, courage. Uh, mm-hmm. You expose yourself. But what I often do, for example, very beginning of an executive coaching program, which usually lasts six to 12 months or even longer. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, we often take 360 degree feedback. For those who don't know what this is, it's uh, usually a standardized questionnaire online where you first nominate your key stakeholders, the people you work with most closely. And it's called 360 because it's 360 degree in hierarchy. So your own boss, your peers, same level, hierarchy level, and your direct reports that report to you. But you can also include suppliers, customers, anyone who would be, who might be able to give feedback. And then this people will give feedback. They will answer questions. They will also write feedback. And then it will be summarized in an anonymous report. And then I go through this report together with the leader and we define one to do one to two development areas for the coaching process. And then ideally the leader informs the stakeholders by saying, thank you so much for your valuable feedback. I got so much information from you, so much valuable and helpful information. I decided to focus on two areas over the next few months, which are 
hmm? becoming a better listener and mm-hmm. showing more appreciation and recognition. Mm-hmm. I might check in with some of you every now and then to ask about the progress you see. Are you ready for the next level of success? You love learning personal development podcasts. You're focused on getting better each day. You've had some success. You've got some good habits along the way, but you are ready for something more, ready for something a little bit more involved. You'd also like a team of people to support you in the process. Well, we finally opened up a new slot in the Pivot Me Mastermind, and we'd like you to be in it. We're accepting nine applications to join and be on a weekly mastermind call with me and eight others teaching exercises. There's a lot of laughter, but mostly radical business and personal growth. There's a lot of that. There won't be many of these opportunities in the future. There's only so much that can fit into my schedule, but I hope you will jump on this one because we would love to have you get in on the action at pivot-me.com backslash mastermind and find out how to apply. So that's stakeholder-centered coaching. The beauty of it is you do not only involve the stakeholders and show them recognition for the time they invested to give feedback, but they also know what's happening with it now. And because, because the leader tells them, hey, I might be asking every now and then, what positive development do you see? They start paying attention to it. Yeah. And that brings measurability and tangibility to the process. To avoid that at the end of the 12 months, the leader says, yeah, I think I have developed a great deal. Yeah, but nobody else notices. That is so good. And I I really want to point out something, Thomas, when you're talking about this vulnerability that it takes, the flip side to vulnerability is courage. And that's really the hurdle a lot of us leaders have have to make, which is to have the courage to be vulnerable with our yes. team, with our, our direct reports, our suppliers, whoever that ends up being, but it takes just tremendous courage. And, you know, earlier you were talking about a culture of fear and hypervigilance. We've all worked in those. I can, I can remember um, one company in particular that I consulted for that it was so much fear, so much hypervigilance. It kill, completely killed creativity, by the way. Um, nobody brought any new ideas to the table ever because of this hypervigilance. But really to get over something like that, it does take tremendous courage as a leader to say, I have to both look in the mirror and I have to let the people around me hold up a mirror to me without repercussions. You can't like, I don't like your 360. I feel like I know it was you. You're out of here. It really, it takes courage, these things, but ultimately the upside of it is tremendous. Yeah. It's priceless. Is priceless. It cannot be underestimated what is possible. Once you overcome this inner resistance, this inner fear and concern, which is very normal and, and human, of course, and it's an investment, right? It's an investment. You have to first invest and then there's potential for a return. Yeah. So Thomas, one other question I want to ask you about in relation to leadership. So you've worked with a lot of leaders through the years. We've touched on some of them, but where are some ways that leaders sabotage their success, whether that's with their team or they Mm. personally self-sabotage? Well, often (laughs) by not being aware of the behaviors they show that turn people off that demotivate people by not being aware of how 
strong of a negative impact they have in the organization. And of course, that's not bad intention, but due to the fact that somebody who's running a business, somebody who's made it to become a CEO, for example, or, or an executive and high-ranking leader, of course, they are convinced that they have become so successful because of how they behave. Like the, yeah. uh, the most logical thing, I am successful. So that's proof that I'm right with what I do and how I do it. Yes. But they're often unaware, completely unaware, that they are also successful despite many behaviors. And these are often in the shadow. Well, we call them blind spots. It's like a dead angle in your car mirror. Mm-hmm. Everybody else can see. When you change, if you change lanes now, you're going to crash. But you don't because it's in the dead angle. Same with our behaviors. Some of them are just hidden to ourselves while everybody else is fully aware of them, right? So self-sabotage, of course, unwillingly, unknowingly, is very often due to these blind spots. And the 360 can reveal the Mm -hmm. blind spots and only what we're aware of we can change control Mm -hmm. what we're not aware of controls us sure so that's one way of self-sabotage and then maybe to add to that very often it's hindering beliefs beliefs we carry and two of the most relevant ones that i bump into quite often are on the one end i'm not ready yet I'm not there yet. I'm not ready to, to show vulnerability. Mm-mm. Yeah, no. yeah. I think it's a great concept. I understand it. I think it's a great thing for all others. I, I'm not ready yet. Yes. So that's yes. one. Or also at the beginning of a career, right? I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready to, mm. to run the business myself or whatever, or to become a, a step into a, a leading role. Mm-hmm. And on the, other, on the other far end of the same spectrum, the belief... I got it all. Mm. I know it all. I know how to do things here. I am the one who knows it. Mm -hmm. I'm the only one. Let me tell you how to do things. Yeah. I cannot learn anything anymore because I built this business. Hey, come on. What are you trying to to tell me here? Yes. That's just as self-sabotaging very often because that's a killer for innovation, creativity, employee engagement, you know, who are most people want to do a good job and want to participate and contribute and bring in their ideas. Yeah. It's, it's interesting when you said that, what I'm reminded of in copywriting that obviously a different field, but that's very applicable here in copywriting, you can't make you the hero of the story. You have to make your customer, the hero of the story. Same, same thing with your team. Same here. Yeah, that's so that's so applicable. Thomas, what would you say to someone who I'm, I'm thinking about a few people that I've worked with in the past who they're running a business and they feel a smaller business, but they feel like the people on their team are all incompetent. They can't do it. They can't do it well. What what feedback are you going to give to them? Because when you consistently work with people that you're thinking they're incompetent, why can't they get this? You're constantly frustrated with your team. What's the problem there? Humility or lack thereof. And a very, very important leadership trait of successful leaders, of the ones that really play in a different league, not the average, 
the great high impact leaders, they all have and show humility. Humility means I know that I may not have all the answers. I'm, I know that I may know a lot and have a lot of experience, but I may not actually be the smartest person in the room. And I don't have to. And others are smart too and are competent too. Maybe they know even better than I do how to do the job because they are the ones doing the job. Right? Yeah. And for many, that's just like beyond their <laughs> reality. <laughs> sure, sure. And this ends, of course, this ends in micromanagement. Right? If you mm. think your people are incompetent, you will tell them what to do and you will also tell them how to do it. Now, if somebody is highly skilled, but you, don't, you just don't see it or you don't want to acknowledge you mm -hmm. may lose this person because you're macromanaging them and their engagement will go down the drain and you will lose them. They will leave you. Wow, that is so powerful. And I know that there are people that are probably listening right now who have felt that way, who've looked at their team and say, why can't they get this right? Why, why do I keep making the wrong hires? What's going on? And if that problem keeps appearing over and over again, it's time to take a look at what you're doing and how you're showing yes. up. And it sounds yes. like humility. Let me bring in another very strong analogy and, and image here. I often refer to as a great leader being a gardener. And your team or your organization is your garden. And the goal is to make your garden thrive and flourish. That's the goal. And you have a certain biodiversity in that garden, meaning different plants with different needs so that they can thrive and blossom and bring out the best and live their full potential. Now, many leaders limit themselves to cutting weeds, meaning problem focus, eliminating problems, <laughs> and, <So true. laughs> and giving the same amount of water and sun, if any, to everybody. So with the watering can, everybody gets some water. Here we go. So meaning or translating into, I have one leadership style only, one for all. And I'm cutting weeds all the time. That's the focus of many. And then if a plant doesn't grow fast enough, meaning perform enough, mm -hmm. they pull. They pull the plant or they kick it. Grow faster. You're, you're underperforming here. Can you see your colleagues? Yeah, you're underperforming, which of course doesn't work. The grass doesn't grow faster when you pull it. It doesn't. Now, what does the plant need to live up to its full potential and, and, and show the potential that, by the way, is also fully contained in the seed? What does it need? Ideal conditions. That's all. And that's the same with human beings. To bring out our full potential, we often need nothing but ideal conditions. Wow, that is profound. And with this in mind, you know, I've seen people having the label underperformer. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, let's, let's try to keep the person on board. Let's maybe just find another job within the organization, mm -hmm. transfer them into a different department. And, Three months down the road, nobody would ever even think of calling them an underperformer because different environment, 
better condition, often different leadership, different climate, mm-hmm. and you you can watch them flourish. I was just thinking about in terms of, I mean, you can see that play out even in genius. You look at someone like Albert Einstein, who struggled in school, struggled in math. He wasn't in ideal conditions. Thank God he eventually got into the ideal conditions so he can go on and do the work that he did. But initially, if someone would have looked at him, it was, okay, this is a young boy that struggles with mathematics. How is he going to go on and do the things he's going to do in physics? Yeah. He needed ideal conditions. Absolutely. So if somebody underperforms in your perspective, first question, do they have the right conditions to perform? And then next question, is it a lack of skill or is it a lack of will are possible? If it's a lack of skill, we can develop it. Yeah. You can train, you can train people, you can develop skills, competencies, Mm -hmm. of course. Well, then you should invest in development. If it's a lack of will, then we should have a conversation, a very, you know, fundamental conversation. Sure. Oh, that's so good. I love this idea of the gardening. I love this idea of ideal conditions and just being aware of, are we providing ideal conditions to our staff? What do they particularly need? And are we fostering that? And I love that a lot of this is already contained in them, in this seed. It's just, you've got to make sure that you provide them with that. Um, I want to be cognizant of our time today, Thomas. Um, I have one follow-up question, but let me first ask you, where is the best place for the Pivot Me listeners to connect with you? If they want to hear more about this, where should they go? Uh, one of the best ways is probably through LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm okay. very active on LinkedIn. Connect with me. And then, of course, my website, thomasjelmy.com. It's available in English and German. Uh, because I'm, I sit in the heart of Europe, huh? in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. My mother tongue is German. I have many German-speaking clients here, but I'm also, of course, working globally. Yeah, that's probably the best way. Best point. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So the follow-up question I've got is, what's next for you, Thomas? So what's what's next on the docket? For me, for mm-hmm. my own business, or yes, yes yeah. for your own business. Yes, I am producing a fully online available program right now at the moment. So it's going to be a comprehensive leadership development program, fully online, available from wherever you are at any given time of the day, with some options to hire me add-on as your coach mm-hmm. based on you know your needs on demand. That's in the pipeline. And this will be out in just a few months. So uh, look out for that. Yeah. Let us know when it comes out so we can let everybody know. I will. Thank you so much for your insight, Thomas. I really appreciate it. This is unbelievable information. We'll put all the links in the show notes so people know how to get in touch with you. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed this conversation very much. Thank Thank you. you. I really like when Thomas said that we need to be aware of who has the greatest influence on our team and that it may not be the manager that we must win over the influencer to win over the team, that they are your true internal sales force. So if you are running a team, look at that team and figure out who that influencer is. Also, when I asked Thomas, what's one of the biggest ways leaders sabotage their success? And he said, by not being aware of their behaviors that turn people off. How are demotivating people? How strong of a negative impact we have on our organization What is he talking about? He's talking about self-awareness. We must first know how we influence people before we can influence them better. 
I hope you loved our discussion today and go check out Thomas Jelmy at thomasjelmy.com backslash E-N for the English version. We'll put it in the show notes and also connect with him on LinkedIn. He has a lot of great information. Make it a great day. Thank you so much for dialing in today. And don't forget, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you love what you hear, give us a five-star review. It means the world to us. Hit me up on Instagram at the April Garcia or check us out online at pivot-me.com. This is all made possible with the support of you listeners, the numerous contributors and our clients. Our music and production is by the amazing Rockwood Audio. Join me next time for more tips on how to hack success. And until then, make it a great day. Thanks, guys. You guys are amazing.